0: To hear these experiences, you know, it really puts things in perspective um, about how how deep, you know, racism is and how deep these situations can happen pretty much anywhere. I don't think anywhere in the United States is excluded from, you know, racism or racist experiences.
1: Absolutely. I I third that.
2: Hey everybody! So welcome to another episode of the Council Podcast. As always, it's your boy Jay, my co-host La Plouts, the philosopher scholar, and today we have two special guests, Mr. Aaron Davis as well as Mr. Nico Centeno. And so for today's episode, we're actually going to discuss Black, All, and Blue Lives, and which ones matter. So to kind of start things off, I want to go over a couple of definitions because I want to give us a little background into what races, ethnicity, culture, and nationality is, and kind of see if we can form a conversation about the different walks of life that we've all experienced, right? So to start things off, um, a common definition of race, and we'll, we'll go one by one, kind of like discuss each one individually as well. So with race, it is known as a social construct that applies to nothing more than the physical characteristics of the way we look, right? So it's generally focused on things such as skin color, hair, various facial features, and all these other traits that are inherited uh, biologically, right? So it doesn't apply to anything national, religious, geographic, um, or anything of that nature, right? And so as we can see by the the diversity within our our space today, um, we're all of different races by definition. So um, who would like to start us off and kind of talk about their journey with their particular race or background?
3: I mean, I'll, I'll co-host it up, but uh, <laughs> I actually, I disagree with the idea of race. Uh, I don't like it and I, I think we should get rid of it, but it also doesn't matter. Like, I don't identify with a certain race, but I know that people think I'm white, treat me like I'm white, and it doesn't matter you know what I think about that. Um, race has always been a little weirder to me because My father, while he was white, uh, he looked like a brown man. He looked brown and people didn't think he was white always. So I just grew up seeing that people were wrong about race, like all the time. And it made me think about it much more. And it made me realize that race is more than your skin color. Way more. Okay. Yeah.
2: Aaron Nico, what what do you guys think about that? Or would you guys like to add on about that?
0: Um, I could start with my personal journey with race. Uh, One, I always knew I was black. You know, my parents definitely instilled that, Um, whether it be culture, whether it be having the race talk with me. You know, I had my first, you'd say, racist experience when I was seven years old, you know? So at that point, at a young age, I always knew that, yeah, I was different. You know, kids never really treated me different on that aspect. It was just kind of like, you know, we're kids and we, you know, you just play around, you know? There's no really like, you know, distinction there. But as I got older, especially to my teenage years, I started realizing like, oh, okay, this is, you know, what it is. The fact that I'm of a darker skin complexion, part of a different race, I'm going to be treated differently than other people of different groups, you know. Um, I think, as far as how I see race, I understand it's a social construct, um, which I think ties into how we're treated in society, you know. Um, and my thing is, I always go by what uh, Trevor Noah says, if you guys are familiar with Trevor Noah. He said, there's nothing wrong with color and race. It's how you see color and race. Uh, we have differences, and we should always acknowledge them, but they should never be, the scales should never tip like, oh, this person has a difference, so I'm going to treat them different, as opposed to, oh, yeah, they're different, but I can still, you know, sit down and talk with them. I can still treat them like a normal human being like I would anybody else.
1: Yeah um those are uh great points absolutely i, w- I would definitely agree with that as well um uh, from a very young age it was it was pretty obvious i think one of the things that um distinguishes um uh, latino culture or just like you know uh, us as a as a race or in, in ethnicity which that's also a big debate right within um the latino community is are we in ethnicity are we we're not a race like you know so and how the government defines us um but one of the one of the you know, markers, I guess, for our culture is language. So my first language was Spanish. Um, so right off the bat, that was one of those things that I, I recognized. You know, there were certain people that I spoke only Spanish with, and then there were other people that I didn't. Um, and and I noticed, you know, there were some people that, you know, it didn't really happen to me specifically, but I noticed how people would engage with my parents and the adults in my family when they spoke Spanish and just the reaction, um, some people. So I, I definitely recognized that at a young age for sure. Um, and from a young age, kind of just like, you know, uh, Aaron shared, you know, it, it, they instilled these values in me and, and, and made me proud of my roots, specifically my dad. I, I, I know my dad, like, really, really empowered me um, to embrace who I am and, and embrace my my roots and, and acknowledge my ancestry, right? Um, so that's always been a huge part of my life. Uh, the name Nico itself is actually a nickname, you know, I, I think they, uh, Jay may know this, but um, but Nico is, is not my birth name. It's just something I came up with because my dad um, is from Nicaragua, and so, you know, the people from Nicaragua, we call ourselves Nicoya, kind of, like, similar, like, Puerto Ricans calling us Boricua. Um, so he taught me that, and from that mo- moment, I was just like, okay, I'm, I'm Nicoya, you're so Nicoya, like, that's what it is, I'm a rep, um, so that's where Nico comes from, actually, and, and I've just been able to carry that nickname um, since middle school, pretty much, um, so that people know, like, when they meet me, and they and, you know, it helps them remember, right? It's like that uh, little members, memorization trick, like, oh, he's Nico de Nicaragua. Like, now I'm gonna remember that name, right? And I'm gonna recognize Nicaragua because we are largely underrepresented within the Latino community as a whole. Um, so living in Vegas was interesting. A lot of people thought I was Mexican, right? Or that I was from the West Coast. Um, and yeah, Mexicans make up the majority of the, the Latino population and, and in within the United States. Um, but you know we're not one size fit all, right? We we uh, we're not a monolith. We come from different places, um, so I would I would definitely um, say that that's that's been kind of my experience as well. Uh, in terms of um, kind of accepting or just not accepting race and whatnot, I mean it is what it is. We we live in a country that racism is embedded within every aspect of society, right? It's it's just it, you can't escape it, right? Um, I, I it's interesting you mentioned Trevor Noah. I think it was Trevor Noah that I. Um, I was like watching or reading something, and he was talking about, you know, from an outsider's perspective, because he's from South Africa, um, just how obsessed we are with the race here in, the, in this country, and we we say that we're colorblind, and 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 whatnot, or people say that they're colorblind, but the reality is that we're not. You know, we we look at color, we see, and and we and we judge, right, um, just based off the way someone looks, and so that's my problem with races, uh, race and racism uh, within the country is just you know, like we shouldn't do that. Just kind of like Aaron, Aaron's um, point, right? Um, Trevor, Trevor Noah's definition of it. Um, I definitely agree. You know, there's, there's nothing wrong with being different. We are different and that's okay. And I think we have, an, we have a huge problem in this country where different equals bad, right? Um, they're, they're, it's other, right? They're, this is a whole other group or whole other language, whole other culture, whole other food. Uh, music, whatever it may be, and for whatever reason, some people see that as, oh, that's less than, like, that's, that's inferior than me and my culture and my, my community, um, and so that's the problem, um, but to me, I, I love different cultures and, and embrace different people, you know, from different communities. I love it. I, I love to learn about different communities and, and different people from around the world, um, and it kind of goes back to what I was saying at the beginning, just growing up in the DMV area, it's just extremely diverse. I think growing up in, in a very diverse community you get to, you get that experience you know and I think it shapes you as a person especially as a kid if your child growing up around with, with different people with different food different customs different languages um I engaged in that right I and I embraced that and and likewise I was embraced too um by people from different communities and so I think that's that's one of the issues that uh, unfortunately affects us here is we just don't embrace that right we we see a difference and it's like oh no nah, i'm gonna keep my distance oh that's them over there that's the other you know and
3: right now nah, send not, yeah. signals for them to assimilate for mm-hmm. them to join and get rid of their old culture yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and that's and that's
1: problematic too because then it's like assimilation or the culture is inferior i mean you just gotta turn on Tucker Carlson or you know anyone on Fox News and they're always talking about Western society and you know upholding these values and how it's the best society or the best cultural standards that exist for everyone in the world. But you know, everyone knows you're just talking white supremacy. You know, like that's just, you know, that's I can't think of the word right now, but you're just sounding the horn for white supremacy. You know, that's that's essentially what it is um, when you're talking about Western culture, Western civilization and all these other people coming in and changing that, right? Um, But I embrace it and I think that's what we should do, right? That's what we need to do, start doing this, really embrace each other more, Um,
2: yeah. And I think too, um, because Aaron, he actually appeared on another episode as well with us where we actually talked about like the assimilation and how it is something that's very unique to like Western society, where it's like um, America claims to be the melting pot, but at the same time, it's like, they want everyone to kind of, what's the word for it? Kind of like divulge into just one, you know? It's kind of like saying like, oh yeah, we're all these different ingredients, but in the the day they just want us to be this one soup. And then how much input does the ingredients have to make this soup? You know, To really say like, this is what the soup should look like on a collective level. And that's something that we kind of see is kind of lacking in terms of representation. And um, yeah, I could definitely agree with you on that. Like um, one one thing I want to ask Elliot, because it does seem like there is a common trend uh, between myself, Nico and Aaron, So even with my experience with race, I did experience my first moment of blackness in elementary school, like a couple kids playing around. And then one kid looked at my other friend who was white, um, basically said, get your little black friend away from me. And I actually froze because I'm like, what what does that mean? The black friend? What what do do you mean? Because as you mentioned, it's like, we're elementary school kids. We just want to have fun. We just want to live, play, and laugh freely. And, and like I said, my, my best friend, he was a white guy. And he never looked at it as like, I'm a white guy, you're a black guy. We were just cool. We traded Pokemon and Digimon cards. He gave me his war Greymon from Taco Bell, I was like, yes. But it's like, so I questioned, so Elliot, did you, being a white male, did you ever have any kind of experience that made you more aware of race? Or do you feel like that's something that was kind of missing um, growing up because it's more of the,
3: the dominant population? within the States? Um, uh, it, it's tough. Like, so, I mean, did I have an experience? Like, I, I personally uh, was not in the majority. Like I was never in a space where I was white and I'm part of the white majority. Like maybe at a white church, at a church where everyone's white, but like at school, most, like half of the school was Hispanic. So that was a little different for me. Where I do feel like you know kind of embracing different cultures uh, that that was something that I did, and um, something I hoped other people would do but but like what I want to get across about like the white experience that's different is and I wanted to ask you guys about this, but you did bring it up like your first experiences, but also when did your parents sit you down and have a talk about race? because there's a lot of white families that are race averse, and which is like an actual term. so race averse means you know, just aversion. Like when race comes up, oh, we don't talk about that.
2: That's the, that's the colorblindness. Kind of it phrase.
3: is. It's the colorblindness. And it's uh, not talking about race and thinking that's the right thing to do. Um, but also it's a privilege to be able to ignore race. It is. Uh, mm-hmm. And I, I think that this is something like, well, I'm just going to throw out a statistic, but uh, 70% of white people don't have any non-white friends. 70 percent mm-hmm. which is pretty wild to me like I, I didn't have that experience so growing up was very different for me because i couldn't imagine that like uh i couldn't it's, it's hard to imagine that you know there are some people they don't have to talk about race they don't have to think about it and mm-hmm. it's just like this weird random thing that pops up every once in a while um yeah i never had a talk with uh, really about race with my parents not much at all that's
2: a very valid point actually because like um I would say, I, I don't know the first official one, but I know the first um, conscious one I could think of was when I was pulled over at, uh, I think, 16, 16, 17, sometime in high school. Yeah. Um, and this is also like my introductions, like police brutality. Um, and I, I won't say brutality in this sense, like it wasn't that bad, but it was definitely excessive policing. That's what I'll call this one. It's so, um, speaking of. Yeah. <laughs> so,
3: they heard you. Um,
1: they heard you talking about them
3: right yeah
2: (laughs) so like um yeah basically i got pulled over for a california stop or they call it or incomplete stop right and then also um what was it it was a a, i guess i made my left turn too wide out like it was in the middle lane instead of the leftmost lane but long story short um, i got pulled over immediately upon getting pulled over i pulled down my registration from uh, my dashboard, uh, from my, uh, was it called, SunVisor. Um, I had my license, pulled it out of my pocket, and basically had, and my insurance card had everything just sitting there at the window, like completely, you know, just right there, completely visible, one hand on the wheel, one at the window with all my documents, right? So the officer comes up, and he's just like, oh, how's it going? And I was like, oh, here's my documents officer. And he was like, okay, take some from my hand goes back and runs my paperwork. Should be easy as i would never had a ticket before, just got my license, everything is fine. Um, but then he comes back and says like, oh yeah, your paperwork's clean, but by the way, are there any drugs or firearms in the vehicle? And I'm like, no, I'm just dropping off my friend. There was uh, two other individuals we were leaving Buffalo Wild Wings and you know, we were just going home because <laughs> like we were kids and we ate and we we're just calling it a night. I'm like, no, I'm just dropping off my friends. There's nothing in the vehicle. Um, you know, my paperwork is fine. Should I just get a ticket and go? And he was like, oh, I would let you leave, but I'm required to search the vehicle. He was like, do you comply with this? If not, I'm going to have to retain you. And I'm like, okay, I'll, I'll let you search the vehicle and everything. So he forced me and my friends out, out of the vehicle, put us on the hood of the police car, um, patted us down from head to toe. We're all 16, 17 at this point. Um, sat us on the curb as he did a thorough check of uh, my car. Um, It was a Ford Bronco. People call it the OJ Mobile. (laughs) And um, it took him probably like 20 minutes to search the entire vehicle. And it just seemed like it was very unwarranted. And I don't know where the suspicion of, you know, firearms or narcotics kind of came from. And so at that point, search was 100% clean. He came back and was like, oh, you guys are good to go. By the way, like, here's your ticket. So gives us the ticket after all that, after complying and everything. Um, and at that point, it's like, you know, once I got home, I definitely let my dad know of the situation that happened. And he was kind of like furious because at yeah. any given moment, things could have, you know, went south or went the different way, you know? So, um, So I think that was the first official talk that I remember, like having with my dad and then we discussed like, being a black man, dealing with the police, things of that nature in America.
3: And like when I said, that one's one of
2: the, oh, go ahead. 16 or how old are you? 16 or 17, but I think 16. But mm-hmm. that was like the first introduction to like excessive policing. I won't I won't say that was police brutality. I'm still alive to this day, but it does have the potential to escalate. And I'm glad that it didn't. I do uh, have to ask, yeah. did that happen happening?
0: in Las Vegas?
2: It happened in Las Vegas, yeah
0: see interesting and um, not to you know diverge anything it just it made me think that because um when i stayed on campus at unlv i was studying one le- night late at the library right had to be like eleven thirty 30 at night um got my backpack you know went cross street grabbed some food and everything like that get stopped slash followed by police metro was out i guess they were searching for whoever and normally it would just be a simple you know, yes, officer, I just got them from the library. I'm a student at UNLV, you know, showed it in my student ID and everything like that. But there's these extra questions. You know what I'm saying? Well, what are you doing at the library so late? What are you doing? You know, and it's, it, these are questions that you just, for me, and you're hearing your experience that this happened in Las Vegas, it's so funny that when I transferred to UNLV, I was sold on Daring to Be Diverse. You know, that Las Vegas is this, you know, place where, don't have to see police brutality and you know all these and that's what my mentality was i was like well i'm Mm. transferring here it seems like a pretty diverse college town number two in the
2: nation in terms of diversity
0: you know and to hear these experiences you know it really puts things in perspective um about how how deep you know racism is and how deep these situations can happen pretty much anywhere i don't think anywhere in the united states is excluded from you know racism or racist experiences
1: absolutely i i third that if that makes any sense Uh, I would say my most racist encounters with police have been uh, or occurred in Las Vegas in my time in Las Vegas and um, I can't remember the first time like my parents talked to me about race I just know that I it wasn't even my parents I had other I had other family members that were just slightly older than me and I remember just doing really well in school right as a kid and I remember they would be like, why are you reading? Like, that's a white thing, you know? Like, why are you, why you like books so much, you know? Why you talk like that? You talk white, you know? Like, they would, you talk like a white boy, you know? And, and they would say these things to me, you know? So that was, honestly it wasn't even for my parents, you know, it was like, I recognized that from a long time, you know, from a very young age that, you know, like, damn, am I doing something I'm not supposed to be doing? <laughs> am I not repping for for my community, my people, you know, but my parents would encourage me and they highly encouraged me to do well and excel in school. So, so I would um, I would say probably it was in middle school around the time that my dad was really empowering me and then I uh, took on that nickname of Nico that, you know, my dad and I had a conversation of, you know, being careful. Once I started driving, I think my dad did talk to me about, you know, being careful with the police and, and whatnot, um, just saying the right thing or being mindful of not saying the wrong thing. Um, but it's interesting because I did get my first ticket here in Virginia growing up, I was in college. Um, it wasn't a horrible experience, but I still think it was BS. Like, I, sh- I don't think it was- I should have gotten the ticket, but it was whatever. Um, but yeah, I definitely had a few racist encounters with with the cops out there. And I remember, so I'm inked up, right? I got, you know, tats and whatnot. And um, my entire time that I spent in Vegas it was has been in education, right? I literally moved out to Las Vegas to start working in schools. Um, so my first year, I got, you know, this arm inked up and it was a birthday gift to myself. And maybe like six months later, um I get pulled over and it was it was it was maybe it was kind of already dark a little bit just the sun had maybe just set around 8 8 30 um and I was headed downtown um I got pulled over kind of like I just took off that's what the officer told me he was like you were at that stop but then you took off really fast you know like um so that's a, he that's the reason he pulled me over and then I remember immediately he came over he, he you know I had my window open or whatever and he had a flashlight because, again, it was already dark. And he put, he saw my, my tattoo and, he, you know, he put his light on it. And he was like, oh, uh, what gang are you in? You know? And I was like, excuse me? You know? He was like, yeah, what, what colors do you rep? You know? And I was like, I don't rep any colors. He, he was like, you're not with anyone? I was like, CCSD? Like, <laughs> like I'm a teacher, man. Like, <laughs> you know? Uh, and and, and you, know, you know what was crazy, too? Like, I remember, I, I still felt like I actually... I don't normally get offended like that but it just it was already you know i was already in a space with him like coming at me like that um and then all of a sudden i don't remember i think once he found that i, I once i told him i was a teacher he like he flipped, right he like made the switch and then he also asked me he happened to ask me like where my family was from so i, I told him and I, I mentioned my mom from colombia um and then he like he then he starts talking about like colombian women and he was like oh man colombian women right man like they're crazy huh like they're just they're they're spicy huh and I'm like (laughs) bro you kind of talking about like my mom and my family right now like I yeah yeah Yeah. and then I was like and honestly I just wanted to get out of the situation so I was like right right yeah Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. yeah those women yeah um he was like okay man yeah 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 well you know just be careful when you take off like that you know don't don't be speeding like that, or and whatnot. And um, but I do remember, you know, when I, I got, you know, my parents, of course, that just like I feel like a lot of older generation uh, Latino parents, they're they're not crazy about tattoos and piercings, so when I first got tatted and stuff, I remember my dad did tell me this specifically. He said, I don't want the police to mistake you for a gang member. Like, I just don't want anyone to mistake you for a gang member. I know you're not a gang member. I, you know, you got a good head on your shoulders, you got a career and all that stuff, but I just don't want you to find yourself in the wrong situation. And <laughs> six months into it, you know, six months fresh off, you know, getting off, some, getting some new ink, um, that that actually happens. Um, you know, And a, another time a cop pulled me over and it's kind of the same thing, um, just like you, Jay. Um, I was on my way to Arizona actually I was literally um, just I was literally right next to Lake Mead it pulled me over just right next to Lake Mead um, and same kind of situation um, at the time <laughs> I had just shaved my head it was hot it was summer um, I, the AC in my car was broken so I was driving with the windows down and uh, I was wearing nothing but like a tank top and basketball shorts um, and this is after this is the summer after my first year of teaching and uh, he pulls me over I knew I was speeding like I was like all right I'm gonna take the L. like I had to there was, I'm not even gonna dispute it I'm not even gonna fight it just give me my ticket and let me be on my way um and same thing he kind of came back and he was like you know do you have any drugs in the car and I was like no no drugs um and and then he was talking about like I got this canine in my truck like I'm gonna have to search your car because and I was like wait 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 all of a sudden it just escalated he, and then I was like where is this coming from like he was like oh no your car smells like marijuana and I was like no it doesn't like what are you talking about man he was like no i have the right to search your car you know and then i was like i'm telling you right now that you're not going to find it like i was like kind of you know arguing with him because there was nothing in my car i had nothing in my car except a bag of clothes because I was going to arizona that's it um i was like i promise you you're not going to find anything and then he was trying to set me up too he was like if you just go in and take out whatever you know you got a dime bag you got a piece whatever i'll let you just throw it away here in the desert you know because we're literally right next to like dirt um and i was like i have nothing to show you i have nothing to give you and you're gonna waste your time man like sure you can go ahead break out you know bring out your dog and search my car but you're not gonna find anything man um and i guess he he saw that i was being you know very genuine and very sincere um because i was telling the truth and he goes back to his car he's like all right just stay here and then i don't know five for five ten minutes of waiting he comes back and just hands me my ticket and lets me go so i i guess he must have believed me or he was trying to scare me into you know, admitting that I had something in my car, but, you know, um, I definitely didn't. So that was that, was, that was very frustrating. So I, I I feel you, Aaron, you know, like moving to Vegas, you know, I would say I, I definitely experienced a lot more racism from cops than, than I did here in the DMV, and, and I have, um, and hopefully won't. But, you know, the reality is I get hella nervous anytime a cop comes around. That's just the truth, you know. So.
3: Oh, yeah, it's definitely scary. And uh, a friend of mine, he said that uh, Metro Police, like the Las Vegas police, police, they have some of the most racial bias and racial sensitivity training in the entire US, which blows my mind because we still have major problems. Like, you know, you guys have all personally experienced. Uh, I mean, I'll say I've actually like, I've had a lot more cop encounters than I even realized like uh, before meeting other people. And then I've met, you know, some people like, I've never dealt with the cop. Like they don't even know what you're talking about. That blows my mind. Cause I probably had like seven to 10 uh, instances where I had to run in with cops and uh, same like, I, I've, I don't know. I feel like I've been around a bit. Like uh, I've seen that when a cop changes when a cop sees you and then their tension relax. And I feel like when a cop wants to let you go, um, they're going to ask you like, so what are you doing? Where do you work? When they ask you where do you work, they're like trying to see where you fit into society. And if you have a decent answer, then they'll usually let you go. Like for me, I think the safest time was when I was a UNLV student for many years. So I was just like, oh, I'm a student, I go to UNLV. And then I I saw like, they're like, oh. But when I went, when I lived in like a, a poor neighborhood and I drove a shitty poor car, I got pulled over regularly. When I moved into a nicer area and was living in a house and I had a nice car, I literally didn't get pulled over for years for multiple years it was just such a stark contrast but um yeah like re- as a teenager having brown friends and then riding bikes we'd get stopped by cops and like uh, told to sit on the sidewalk and uh, they'd run our names and like all kinds of bullshit but uh i don't know it's it's just it's a weird thing and and I've seen the statistics that are like, you know, if you're brown, then you're probably going to get pulled over or stopped by cops five to six times more than white people. And based on my friend's experience and like, they'll tell me stories. It's like, wow. Yeah, that, that is just so much more than what I'm getting.
2: Yeah. I I would say it's interesting too, that you mentioned, um, like with, with Metro, uh, are you saying like Metro or North Las Vegas has the most, uh, racial sensitivity training? I think Metro. Metro. So -hmm. If I remember correctly, while researching um, the current president or I don't know the exact role, but one of the big figures of the whole Blue Lives Matter movement is actually a retiree from Metro. So that's something I came across. Not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, not surprising. Yeah. <laughs> so it's interesting to kind of see that on one side of the fence, they have the most training in terms of de- uh, dealing with all these different individuals from the different communities. But then at the same time, you have um, one being the leader of, I'll say, arguably, deci- uh, not decisive. Uh, what's the word? Divisive mm-hmm. movements that are currently out right now. And I say divisive in terms of some people are very pro-cop. Some people are very anti-cop. And I think like the majority of people are kind of like in the middle somewhere saying like, not all cops are bad. Not all people pulled over, a criminal, so on and so forth. But it's like kind of seeing that that background that we've the background experiences that we've all kind of had like what are your thoughts on like uh the blue lives matter movement and how it relates towards like black lives matter and other movements going on right now
3: Aaron <laughs>
2: Yeah, so I was on raise a finger <laughs> <laughs> well, well
0: as um and I'm gonna be so transparent, and it, it, it's I have to, and I have to speak on it on facts, right? About why it was the Blue Lives Matter was created to begin with, and why it had followers. Um, to me, it's a bullshit movement. I'm sorry, I have to go ahead and say it. There is no, like, basis or backing with Blue Lives. The the concept of it just doesn't make sense. For one, it was counteractive because of the Black Lives Matter movement. It was a movement to basically counteract the movement. It was not a movement because you guys generally have love for for, for police or think their job is dangerous or this or that, because there's Black police. There's Mexican police, there's Asian police, there's police from all different backgrounds. Um, And there's been multiple police who have actually um, agreed with Black Lives Matter and said, yes, they have a valid cause. Racism does happen. Racism happens in policing. And as a policeman, they can identify with that. My thing is this, is that I would have more respect for it as a movement if they had counteractive, um, not counteractive, had um, actual solutions to policing. Like, hey, well, maybe we do need to have a meeting with both of our founders to sit down and talk about racism and injustice and how I would have more respect for them as a movement, if that was the case, but that's not the case. This is kind of like a, aha, I can debunk that or aha. We've, you know, we've got a movement now to, to, to prove that racism doesn't happen and police are actually the ones being targeted, you know? And that's just, that's just my, my thoughts on them as a, as a movement in an organization.
2: Yeah, that's fair. Cause I do feel like the conversations aren't being had between like the two parties. Cause like, um, so from what I from what I came across, and this is seeing um, seeing posts online, reading a couple articles, just trying to really get an understanding of those who follow like Blue Lives Matter movement. Because there are, you know, there, there's Blue Lives Matter supporters out, out out and about. I'll see the flags and everything, the thin blue line flag, and um, it seems like they have more causes than than what we previously mentioned. They like they they do feel that um, one of the one of the more extreme ones that they have, is saying that any kind of actions against police should be considered hate crimes. That's one of the more extreme approaches that they have, or beliefs that they have, which uh, Louisiana actually end up passed um, legislation supporting that. But it also seems like a common argument for those who say that they're not anti-Black uh, Lives Matter. They they often say that they think that police are often disrespect, uh, disrespected, not looked upon highly enough and they receive too much criticism or doubt. So it's one of those things where it's like, it's hard because like on both ends, we don't want to get to like absolutes, but it's like learning a little bit more about it. I can see some of the criticisms or even some of the arguments in favor of them.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I'm gonna um, second Aaron's comments. Uh, it's It's all bullshit to me. Uh and it and it's really deeply rooted in white supremacy and racism within this country. And I I think one of the uh benefits of having studied history, and I, I double majored in, in history and social justice in college and just being a history like just into it, right? Like is, is understanding that our present is the consequence of our past, right? We're still dealing with these issues and that we're being told, Hey, ah, oh, you know what. All these things are, you know, oh, the civil rights movement was 50 years ago. It was only, but that's the thing. It was only like 50, 60 years ago. That's the thing. It was only 50, 60 years ago. And people are like, oh, just move on, just move on. Like we, we did that. You guys had Dr. King, you guys had Cesar Chavez, you had all these people, you know? And it's like, but no, it's still a problem. You know what I'm saying? It's still an ongoing battle. Um, and so I think when, when people are talking about, when you look at policing, you, you look at um, police force um, and police forces, um, they're deeply, deeply rooted within the institution of racism within this country. Um, you know, I learned a lot from hip hop and and I'll never forget the, the Kara song, you know, the, the um, Sound of the Police, right? Where he has that one line at, toward the end of the song where he's like, overseer, 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 officer, 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 officer. He kind of, you know, so the overseer was the original kind of police patrol on slave plantations, you know? And it's interesting because if you look at pictures of their badges, they're the similar kind of police badges that exist today. And it's wild. It's wild that there's, no one's at least in policing has made that connection to say you know what this symbol this star or the sheriff's badge or whatever whatever that we used to wear back in the day is still very similar to what we're wearing today that's that's not a good look that symbol and that and that that the fact that that still exists and it's still being used in police police policing today is problematic is extremely problematic so i think um you know you have a lot of blue lives matter folks that um obviously support the police um but it's because they've felt like the police have been part of the community are part of the community and have protected their community um, for generations whereas for other people black and brown folks and other marginalized communities that hasn't been the case um, we have not received that full protection from police like specifically white and very rich uh, communities have experienced um, so we're, and that and that's where the disconnect is you know that's where it's like we're trying to t- tell y'all that this is going on in our community. We're trying to tell y'all that this is happening to us, to our people, to, to people who are dark, right, black and brown people, and, and these are different experiences with police, and you're not listening. We understand policing is, you know, necessary. It's, it's needed. Crime happens. Yes, you know, fight the crime, you know, chase the bad guy, lock them up. There are bad people in the world. There's people who commit uh, horrible acts of crime, right, but there's also good people out here, you know, I, you know us included here in this call that aren't committing anything. And we literally all shared different experiences of us, you know, being innocent and being treated a certain way. Um, so to me, Blue Lives Matter is, is complete bullshit. When you talk about Blue Lives Matter, there's, there is no blue life to, to police is a job. It is a career and it is a choice. There's the individuals who serve and put on that badge and put on those blue uniforms. They made that choice to wake up and become a police officer. Right. Black people didn't wake up and say, you know what, I'm going to be real black today. Brown people didn't wake uh-huh. up and say, I'm going to be real brown today. You know, like, no, we know. were we were born, you know, we were born this way. Right. So um, th- to me, a, a blue life does not even exist. Right. A, a, a police officer is a career. It's not a race. Um, it, It's just it's a profession. And so that's where it loses really all credibility for me. Just even thinking about it from from that perspective. Right.
3: No, okay. that's, that's a lot of good points. Um. I mean something something for me too is yeah I think you guys are both right that it's it's entirely reactionary because it's like what does Blue Lives Matter really stand for okay like what are you fighting for what's like what what is there to make progress on because like Black Lives Matter is really talking about injustice and how people are being unfairly treated but Blue Lives like pop's in the criminal justice system are privileged on every single level. If a cop is ever brought into the criminal justice system and like put before a judge, I mean, like, you know, you see, they get excused for everything and anything and everything. It's, it's wild, but um, so yeah. So it's like, what do blue lives, what are they arguing for? What do they even want? What more could they ask for? And what more qualified immunity, you know? Uh, so yeah, that's where I think I lose the credibility in the movement completely as
2: well. Well, according to what I came across, their argument is that um, police are also victims of like homicides. Um, people will target police in particular um, and will try to hurt them, and they just want to go home to their families and everything as well. That's that's what the pro-privileg matter argument is, trying to say that knowing because I do I do agree with Nico that it is a choice and it is a career field that people. You know you go into you actively know ahead of time what the dangers are of any position you know and that's something that is something that we're aware of like as someone like as an officer as well as someone as just like a civilian as a normal citizen right but their argument is that knowing the type of daily potential threats they may go on to that they deserve a lot more respect and a lot less criticism so, and, and one thing I will say, one criticism that I have for it is that it does further um, enforce that us versus them mentality that we have in the States. And I think that's what we're seeing is like the whole dissonance between Black Lives Matter and Blue Lives Matter is creating that you can only be either or, you can't necessarily have views of both. And um, as Aaron mentioned too, it's like it all needs to come down to like a conversation, you know, to be had to kind of say, these are what our thoughts are, these are what our thoughts are and have some sort of conclusive discussion around it. Because um, one thing that, um, I can't remember if it was Aaron and Nico, but they brought up was pretty much the police of color, police of different ethnicities, right? At this point, they're kind of put in the middle. Who do they choose? You know, like they put on a badge by day, but they wear their skin throughout. So it's like a black police officer, and I do have like black police officers in my family and some that are friends as well. It's like, I'm curious what their thoughts would be, right? Because as you mentioned, it's like one movement is, is based in, in facing injustice and kind of bringing forth the, the understanding of uh, discrimination throughout the US versus one side saying that we shouldn't be looked at as these, these criminals, these, uh, you know, ravaged police officers, so on and so forth. So I think finding that hard middle ground, that's what's really challenging.
0: And clearly, as we've seen, I just wanted to make this point really quick, is that there is different treatment when you enter the police force as a black officer and a white officer. And what I mean by that is, is that as we've seen, there's been plenty of articles, plenty of cases, black officers do not receive the same amount of protection that their white counterparts do. And that is where I think we need to get into the nuance and we have to really break this down in terms of the system. That even you being in like a career where you think that you know you would be treated equal, you're still not treated equal based on what color you are as an officer. So I just wanted to make that point. That's with any job, whether you're a black judge, white judge, black ju- um, you know black uh, lawyer, white lawyer, you're going to be treated differently.
3: No, that's true. I mean, well, uh, I I wanted to get to Nico's point too, which is that the black Blue Lives Matter is is really a racist like white supremacist movement. And then uh, I guess this is the big issue with a lot of racist movements. Like, I don't disagree. I, I do think it, as, it actually is you know inherently racist, but then you have uh, cops of different races who are like, I'm not racist. I can tell you that for sure, but I believe in blue lives matter. And then I, I think that's just like the typical racist movement. They don't want to be declared racist. They want people to be able to like, say there's no racism there when there definitely is.
1: Yeah, it it's a uh, yeah that that's that's a definitely a tactic you know um, and I I think going back to Jay's point um about having these conversations and and trying to be heard but you know the reality is that especially within the past five years now um, since you know 2016 with, with the rise of trump and trumpism which is a thing now you know it's crazy um you know that that discourse just isn't happening here in the United States you know I, I think it's we've become more polarized than, than ever before um, and it's really even you know the, the kind of you know like jay said earlier divisive it's it, we're just extremely divided right now and um, we and we're, and we're not, not truly listening to each other with open it's not even open minds but an open heart you know really at the end of the day it's just recognizing our our humanity you know our common humanity for our brothers and sisters just you know we look different and that's fine but at the end of the day we are human um, and that goes back to my point earlier about embracing one another, right? But we, we just don't, you know, oh, you're different. You look different than me. You talk different than me. You're from a different place than me. So you're not like me. And that's not good, right? That's like this mentality that we have here. Um, and and that discourse just not, is just not happening. And that's the thing, right? I, I'm, I'm using that word specifically is, is discourse, right? Because a lot of times it ends up just being a lot of yelling, right? Or, or debating um and and you know our human rights should not be up for debate this is not a debate (laughs) you know my life and my basic human rights and civil rights are not up for debate uh i'm not going to have a debate over you uh, with you whether or not you think i should have basic human rights you know so I'm, i'm just trying to at least please listen please listen and and empathize and sympathize with what's going on and what we're feeling and what we're, what, we're, what we're experiencing, right? When it comes to policing and just racism in this country as a whole, right? But, um, you know, people wanna act, it's, it's interesting, right? People, you know, oh, America, the United States is the greatest country in the world, it's the greatest country in the world. And, and I think that that's what it is. People have a hard time, people who support um, specifically more like, you know, extreme right wing, um, Trump um, ideology and, and Blue Lives Matter, they're obsessed with this perfect image of the United States, that the United States cannot be at fault for anything, that, mm-hmm. that, that the, the hands of the United States government and and its, and its institutions are clean. Look at us. Look, we're at the pinnacle of society. Look at the, our institutions. Look at the opportunities that we have in this country. Our, our hands are not dirty. Our hands are not bloody. And the rest of us are saying, yes, they are. Don't, don't get us, we're not saying that there aren't great institutions here. We're not saying there aren't um, opportunities, right? The American dream is a thing, right, for, for many people. Uh, and, and, and we believe that, yes, there's opportunity. And, and there's uh, a lot of amazing things about this place. Um, but our hands are dirty, right? You, you cannot sit there and act like our hands are not dirty, uh, especially in our history. And so that, that's, what, that's what's problematic to me. Um, James Baldwin has this one quote, and, and I, I, it's obviously one of my favorite quotes and I still can't get it down 100%, but essentially what he says, he's, he says, I love America and it's, it's for this very reason that I have every right to uh, criticize her perpetually, right? Uh, and I think that that's, it's, it's absolutely valid, right? It's absolutely valid to think critically about your home, about where you, you live and you grow up and, and to question things, right? And to say, you know what? I love I love this space. I love it here. But you know what? There's some things that we could work on. You know, there's some things that um there, there's some cracks in the system, um, big ones that we gotta fill and we gotta address those needs, and we gotta address those issues. And a lot of people are like, no, 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 that we, we covered that with the band-aid, we're good, you know, that, that crack isn't there. Mm-mm. What crack? What are you talking about? You know, and I think that's where the big disconnect is, um, unfortunately. So
2: I can agree with that. Like I, I would say too I think that brings up a good argument in terms of like black lives matter versus another counter argument all lives matter right because like black lives matter is dressing that crack in the system that you're mentioning right like that's one that's something to kind of bring forth the, the bloody hands of like American history and what's still eluding us to this day you know mm-hmm. but then others would argue that it's all lives matter because you know it's we, there's no form of prioritization. And then with that argument, like, I I find a lot of sometimes hilarious criticisms because, like, um, I'm a huge fan of just different comedians. Like, as we already mentioned, Trevor Noah. um, One thing that he referenced on one of his episodes was the cartoonist that put forth the the burning home situation. Right. So if you have a neighborhood and um, you have a couple houses that are on fire. Right. You wouldn't want to hear someone saying all houses matter. You know, you would want them to address the ones that are on fire. Same thing with um, Michael Che and his stand-up. Michael Che Matters. He mentions 9-11. He was like, can you imagine if the Twin Towers would have fell and someone would have been like, all buildings matter, sir. No, it's not the case you're addressing where the issues are. Even though hilarious setups, it's like <laughs> you have to address the issues that are at hand and who specifically are being hurt or damaged by these systems, you know? So like the all lives matter approach is very similar on the blue lives matter in terms of the dismissiveness. And like you said, it's like not acknowledging the cracks in the system is just as dangerous as directly contributing towards it, you know, Mm -hmm. because of the cracks. Like if we, if we say the crack is on a ship, right. If the ship has a small crack and it goes on unknown, then it's going to sink the whole ship. And I feel like that's kind of what we're seeing with America in terms of you know, all the different feuding that we're dealing with. And it's because people are willing to not acknowledge the cracks and it will be too late once they see that the sink is shipping, that the ship is sinking.
3: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I I think you're right. Uh, Part of, I think, why all lives matter is a reaction is because people are simply ignorant of like what black lives have to go through, what black people face. So when they hear, Black lives matter. If, if, even if they are like colorblind and equal, they're like, hey, why are you raising Black lives up here? Because they feel like all lives matter. It is just like, they, you know, I'm not realizing that, oh, there's some systemic pressures and there is real differences. Um, same, like Darius, those were great examples. Uh, I read this Reddit post that really changed my mind completely, and I couldn't think about all lives matter the same. Uh, it was like, you know, if we if the four of us sat down to dinner, and we all had food, except for Aaron. And then he's like, hey, I I don't have any food on my plate. And then I say, hey, we should all have food. And then I start eating. <laughs> and I don't do anything to change. Like, you know, that's that's what all lives matter is really like. It's like, yeah, all lives matter. And we're not going to do anything to make sure everyone's equal. <laughs> so, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely.
0: And, and as a um, sociology major, there's this, there's this concept, right? Um, fairly new, but I think it explains it um, to a T. Um, it's known as inclusionary theory. There are people, and I say this, and I'm going to give you the analogy in, in a second, that they don't like when they feel excluded or left out of a movement. It's a certain type of feeling. I, I it, and, and we still don't know like what brings this on, but it's kind of like the the argument, right? Like if I'm giving a speech about enslavement of African and black people and somebody says, well, you know, the Irish were slaves, too. (laughs) And and that's, you know, one indentured servants, you know, let's let's really look at and learn history. But outside of that, I then question, okay, are you even Irish just to begin with, why are you bringing this up when we're talking about a specific type of history, there's a certain feeling you feel left out so you feel as though you need to include, you know, Irish aka white people into that conversation of enslavement. And to me, that's not only disrespectful to the Irish people because they have their own history and own, you know, issues in this country. That's just disrespectful as a whole, because it, it, and, and as Darius said, it's not, you know, someone has, you know, breast cancer. You're not going to say all cancers matter. You just, you have to know how to read a room when when there's a conversation going. But for some reason, I don't know why, you know, the response to Black Lives Matter is all lives matter. You know, it's like, we're not saying that they don't matter. We're just saying that Black Lives Matter. And it becomes this big back and forth because they're like, so you're saying they matter more? I said, that's never been the case. Never <laughs> be the case. We've never said that when we said Black mm-hmm. Lives Matter.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I. Oh, go ahead, Nico.
1: Sorry, I just I kind of have like um I guess a theory behind um that theory as to as to you know why why that, that response um it happens. It, it, I think it really boils down to you know white culture, white supremacy has been the dominant force. Um, so when we're starting to talk, to have these conversations about Black Lives Matter um, and and raising these issues of racism. Um, what it's doing, it's decentering white, right? It's it's saying, hey, hey, hey yeah, yeah, we get it. You've been the dominant culture in this in this country uh, for generations, for for centuries now. Um, but can you just scoot over a little bit, and can we just squeeze on in here and talk about what's going on with us here? And you know, white supremacy is 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 powerful, right? Uh, very unfortunately in in this country. So. It, it, they're putting up a fight, right? They're, they're saying, no, 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 no. You guys stay put, stay there, right? Where you where you belong, where you've always been, and we're going to remain the power, right? It really boils down to power and influence in this country. Um, and, and I think when we're having these conversations, it's decentering whiteness and it's saying, you know, like, hey, just scoot over, you know? It's not to say, just kind of like what Aaron said, it's not to say that uh, Black Lives Matter more than white lives, than brown lives and Asian lives and indigenous lives, that's not the conversation. It's literally saying, hey, <laughs> give us some room at the table so we can present what's going on with our communities and listen to us. Uh, that's that's really what it is. And I, and I think that's where that pushback is, right? It, I think white culture as a whole and and, and people who you know um, just aren't engaged with communities of color, um, they're used to being the center, right? in every aspect of their lives, and it, it's very, um, what's the one I'm looking for? It's not, it's not very direct or obvious, right? But we, I think, you know, people of color notice these things, especially when we talk about, um, for example, um, beauty, right? What is, what is considered beautiful, right? What, what, who, who, the standards of beauty, right? For different people. Um, And our entire lives, you know, the standard of beauty has been white, right? Like white skin, blue eyes, blonde hair, right? That has been the standard of beauty. And, and there are people of color, unfortunately, who have, you know, these issues with their own color. And, Attempt to get more white. I mean, there's there's literally uh, an industry for whitening skin creams, you know, that oh exists God. around the world. Yeah, absolutely. So so it, it's horrible, honestly. Sammy Sosa was one of my childhood heroes, childhood heroes, and he's you know from the Dominican Republic, and uh, you know one of the you know pretty dark skin. And uh, the past few years, you know, he came out in public, and I mean, it's almost as light as me now, you know. And it, it was a it was a big shock, and I was like, man, like. You know the the self hate. You know the self hate that exists within our communities as well. When it comes to our own color, is, is very real. So um, you know we, we're taught. Even even people of color understand and recognize that whiteness is the dominant culture. Is the, is the culture that has been promoted. It is the culture that is at top. And so when you have white people that know this, right, subconsciously, right, because it's not very again, it's not very, it's not it's not as in your face as it used to be, but it's it's very subconscious now. They they they're recognizing oh they're trying to make room for themselves at the top. And we're not, we're not trying to let them, we don't want them to. Like we are at the top of, of the pinnacle of the, the pyramid here and we have no room for none of y'all, right? But the rest of us are like, no, 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 no. We're tired of being at the bottom of the pyramid. We're coming for the top, right? And at least that's how I feel. I'm just tired of, you know, being unapologetic and, um, you know, just letting the shit continue. You know, I'm gonna speak up, I'm gonna say these things and I'm gonna address these issues um, whether or not you feel comfortable. Um, so I'm, I'm making my way up to the top and I'm bringing my people with me. I'm bringing all y'all with me. And, um, you know, it, it, is, it is gonna be a fight, man. It is gonna be a fight because obviously they're pushing back, right? And I think that's where you see the rise of Trump, um, extreme right wing, you know, groups. Um, and it really started with the, it didn't even start so much with Trump. It really started with Obama, unfortunately. I just remember li- watching the news during his first election run and all these right wing militia groups are starting to pop up. I mean, I'm sure there's research about this that shows, you can really look back. You don't have to look back to 2016. You have to look back at 20, 2008, 2007, 2008, and starting to see this rise of right wing extremists just because Obama was running for office. And then once he took over office, that's when it was like, oh man. And that really, you know, I think that was uh, a consequence of what led to Trump really, really running for office. And, you know, of course Trump was like, I'm not racist, I'm not racist, but bro, <laughs> you know, you were, you were discrediting Obama from the jump just based on a certificate, you know, just alone. And you know that that screams racism. That screams racism. And your rise to power was was that was the foundation on your rise to power, right? Um, and and a lot of white supremacists, they they're just like, no, you know, they don't they don't agree with that. But hey, that's that's really what it is. I th- that that'd be my theory as to why, you know, all lives matter blue lives matter is um, kind of where reactionary movement, right? It's kind of like, oh, they want space now, like they want to come <laughs> up, you know, like. Yeah, we do. We do yeah, because we're yeah. tired of this treatment, you know. Um, so yeah, uh,
3: I think you both bring up some really great points. And uh, white supremacy definitely a factor, but I, I feel like part of this reaction too, like you're saying, is uh decentering whiteness, so it's being moved off, and that's triggering white fragility, mm-hmm. where right white fragility where white people they aren't often decentered you know you've never really noticed because you always were an assumed center and assumed default and then you start to feel that and you're like, hey, wait a second, Irish serfs hey wait a second, all lives matter uh, and and that's that's tough to deal with because you there's just a certain point right in spaces where it's like we can't be uh, apologetic here we can't soften the language like I'm you know we, we just have to get through this to explain and some people just need to be more educated because they've just never thought about black issues but I kind of wondered like, and how you guys uh, think about this, but like, what if the, the tag, the, uh, the hashtag was black lives matter too? Because mm-hmm. if you say black lives matter too, I, I, I get that like white fragility is gonna hear black lives matter. And it's like, why are you saying black lives matter? Can I say white lives matter? Why can't I say white lives matter? And then there's that thing. But it's like, when you say black lives matter too, it's acknowledging, yeah, lives matter. Lots of lives matter. And Black Lives Matter too. But
0: For me, it's kind of like a double-edged sword, right? Like I would I agree with that that if you add the two after it, that it it would, I think, be more digestible to white people, to other people that like, oh, okay, this is what they mean. But then part of me is like a movement shouldn't have to change itself Ooh. when they're when they're um what they've wanted has been clear from the jump. You know, mm-hmm. Black Lives Matter has been very explicit and very clear cut. This is what we want from the jump. It is never, they've never, you know, I will say certain certain people who claim Black Lives Matter may have perverted that message, but originally the messages um, always stayed black and white. Um, no pun intended. And my thing is this, and has always been this, I think that it doesn't take a, a genius to, to understand a concept, right? Certain concepts. And my thing is, You know, Nico brought up beauty industry. I remember having a debate where I was speaking about um, Vanessa Williams and I said, oh, she's the first, you know, Black Miss USA, you know, and automatically someone asked me, why do you have to say she was the first Black Miss USA? And I said, because she was the first. First Black Miss USA. This is not a immense of words. This is not me saying like, "Well, what about all the other people who are white and everything like that?" I said they're getting too. the shoe. I'm just simply saying a fact that she's the first Miss Black USA. And it I was a back and forth for a good twenty minutes in my head. I'm thinking, "Why is this such a difficult concept? Why is this such an issue for you to digest that she was the first Black Miss USA?" I don't. And and for life, me, I still, you know, that's something I struggle with when I do these research um, seminars and I do research in this field it's kind of like i don't understand why certain people have such a problem understanding certain things you know it's like why do you have to put the term black in there and that's kind of like their whole it's blinders they don't they they, they see the word black and they're like well just say american just say they're this to say they're that they hate that extra acknowledgement
2: so do you, do you feel like it's ignorance, or do you feel like it's actually tactical
0: I think it's tactical, honestly. I think some of it might be ignorance, but mm-hmm. I think you clearly know the situation. And mm. I, said, I said, you shouldn't be upset that I'm saying she's the first Miss Black USA. You should be upset that it's been so many years and she is the first Miss Black USA. That's where your anger mm-hmm. and your content should be, in my personal opinion. Mm-hmm.
3: Okay. What, what's the tactic though? Like, what do you think the tactic is for? You think it's about uh, silencing race talk? Or-
0: I think it's about silencing and you know to bring up another point here and i'm, I'm gonna hopefully not going to rant but you know i we we talk about this with this emergence of black conservatives and, and, and that's why you started laughing because you know where i was going oh, yeah. <laughs> because with um it's been a it's been an emergence i think with trump black conservatives have always been here but i think there's an emergence of black conservatives that they too want to be known as american they don't want to be known as black and That's their right to do so, but the way that it's done, it's almost used as a way to say, oh, I've never experienced racism and I'm a Black person. It's kind of like being weaponized against a community that does deal with racism. You may not personally have dealt with racism or what you thought was racism, but you are now being weaponized against an entire community. You are now giving people, uh, you know, in essence to say, um, oh, this person is Black and they've never dealt with anything, so racism must be cured. We must not deal with racism anymore. And that's a problem and that's an issue.
3: Mm. Uh yeah, no, I, I that's what I was I wanted to get at too, right? It I guess it's like the progressives, and I was definitely like this. The progressives who want to jump forward into the future where race is not a limiting factor. So it's it's really like and, and I, I think that people can be committed to that in a positive way, where in their minds, you know, they're kind of colorblind. So then they feel like that's the, the anti-racism. But uh, yeah, I mean, I guess, what would you say is that we're not there yet and it's gonna be a while?
1: I would agree with that. We're, we're definitely not there yet. Um, I don't even know if we'll ever get there. Like I said, it, it's embedded into our institutions, right? I mean, our, the, 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 the foundation of this country was founded on racism and racist ideals and, and thoughts, right? Um, so I, it's going to be very, very tough to to separate that um, from within the foundation of, of this country. I, I don't see that happening, maybe at all, to be honest, within this country. Um, and, and also, you know, it's not so much to at least for me, you know, don't necessarily be colorblind. Like, I don't want you to be colorblind. I simply want you to acknowledge, you know, the kind of like what you were saying, like Aaron was saying, like recognize that this is going on, you know, just just simply recognize and acknowledge and be aware, you know, don't be upset that there was, you know, that I I, him for mentioning the first black, you know, Miss America, be mad at the fact that there had to be a first in the first place, you know? Like, why is that? Look at that, you know, look at the, the, you could say the same thing, look at our presidents, right? Literally, 43 presidents, all white men, and then finally one black man, you know, like, so why is that, you know, why, why are so people upset about the first black man? And it's like, let's look at the 43 other, you know, previous presidents. And what does that say about us? Right. Um, And and so it's not so much, I want you to be colorblind. I don't want anyone to be colorblind. I want you to see me, recognize me, see my, see who I am, see who my people are in my community um, and recognize my humanity um and embrace me embrace our difference and i think again we we just have a big problem with embracing differences in our country um because different is other and other is bad and bad is inferior right they could just you know i can't be seen with you i can't you know talk to you i can't you know go out with you whatever it may be um and and i don't need you to be colorblind right um because you're also diminishing who i am as a person who i how do i how identify um culturally, right? And then ethnically. Um, so you're also ignoring that too. You're choosing to ignore that, that a, a huge part of my identity. So I don't need people to be colorblind. I just simply need you to acknowledge my humanity and our humanity and embrace us, you know? That's it, just give us a hug, man. Just give us a hug, <laughs> invite us over. And you'll see that we're not that different at the end of the day. I think
0: Yeah, and definitely in essence too, um, you know, and I bring up this point because it, 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 it's you're going to be reminded whether you're black white asian what have you're going to be reminded that you are part of that group you know even on a basic level right like for those who um follow my social media i've gotten really really invested in like you know skin care and taking care of my image and everything like that um and i'm lucky to have a friend who's in dermatology school right now you know he's going to school to be a dermatologist and he says he says to me we're talking we're having a conversation he's like well Aaron, he's like something i need you to know that yes even what race you are does impact what products you need to use in your skin it impacts how certain conditions are going to affect your skin more than you know other people you know you being a malignated person your skin will tend to be oilier than other people and, it, and you hear these and it's like if that in my opinion that's a difference that's okay because that doesn't mean that one person is better or worse. It just means that, hey, because you have melanated skin, you need to use these products. You need to stay away from this product. It's going to dry you out. You know what I'm saying? That even a dermatologist, someone who studied a can recognize that and understand that and say, hey, I'm, I'm studying skin here. So all skin matters to me. But you're my <laughs> client and I'm talking to you. Your black skin also matters so this is what the products that you need to use and it's kind of like on a medical level it's like how is it that we can understand that we can get that but not on a social societal level you know Mm -hmm. certain things and it's like you know same thing um i use scotch porter a product for my beard you know i use a hair pick for my beard every time i get out the shower when i'm in the shower there's certain things that i have to do that a white man might not necessarily have to deal with or an asian man or someone of a different person uh color that doesn't um, you know grow as thick as a beard and thick as hair as I do and to me that's all right that's a difference that um is not negative that's just a difference that it's it's the way my hair grows it's the way I look you know and and whether it's that or whether it's food you know difference whatever that, that's I think an opinion of a difference that is not negative it's a difference that we should embrace and it also mm-hmm. helps us learn from each other you know the problem is is when you get into superiority of oh you're this color so you're right here or I'm this color and I'm here.
2: Great, I'll say too, so based upon the discussion too. So it seems like, and you guys could definitely chime in on this. It seems like with America, we need we have issues addressing culture and ethnicity, right? So I mentioned like I was gonna do like the definitions of all of them. So it's like with ethnicity, it's based upon the shared instances that brings people together. You know, the commonalities, whether it's, um, and it could be both, social and biological which is interesting because like with race it was strictly biological right with ethnicity it could be either or you can have similarities with your heritage your bloodline um you could have social the way you speak the dialect what language you choose um the, the food that comes with it so on and so forth and then with culture it's just completely inherited on a social level so it's like you have race that is biological Culture that is socially uh, socially adapted, and then you have ethnicity, which is that intersection between the two. So, based upon this conversation, um, would you guys say that America needs to address understanding culture and ethnicity more in, in addition to race? Very much so. Okay.
1: Yeah, I, w- I would say uh, uh, I would say a uh, uh, just a better understanding of everything of all of it, you know. Um, especially when you're talking about um, people, you know, you, talk, you want to talk about like immigration and, and, and immigrants as well, you know, and just doing our best to understand where we come from and um, the reason why people immigrate, right? And I think that's a, that's lost on a lot of people. People think like, oh, they want to immigrate because they we have better jobs. But like we, we, we us, us, us here in the United States, we have these things without stopping to understand like what's going on elsewhere, right? And, and the reasons that some people are, forced to leave their home. So I think all of it, man, I think ethnicity, culture, race, um, reasons to immigrate, you know, those are all things that just people need to be more aware of, uh, understand better, uh, do, doing better research. Um, and, and I think, unfortunately, it has a lot to do with our, our, our education system as well. What, what kind of standards we're learning? And, and we, we got a couple of educators here in the room that I think most of us have gone to college and, and have, you know, studied and, and put in a lot of time with our faces and books and, and reading this. And, and it's so interesting because when I when based on similar conversations that I've had with a lot of people, it hasn't been until college that a lot of people of color have gone on to learn more about their own history or more about the the twisted history of the of of our country. Right. Like you I, I did some you know stuff when I was in high school I researched on my own, right? Where I started learning about my history and learning a little bit more about the dark history of this country. Um, but it's not really till college that you get to that level, and now you're being assigned some of these books, right? And now you're talking, you're having discussion groups, you have friends that are really open about the stuff, and um, you're connecting about that. And and it, I think it's very unfortunate, um, you know, that 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 happens to be the case because the reality is that not everyone goes to college, so not everyone gets that experience and 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 can trace like, oh, you know what? I learned about you know this horrible thing that happened in our history because I read this book when I was you know in college for English or history or whatever. You know, not all of us are in those, those situations, unfortunately, so, um, but everyone does go to, at least for the most part, everyone attends K through 12 public schools, um, you know, and unfortunately that it's just not happening there. Those, these conversations are just not happening there. Um, so it, it, it's, it's problematic on a whole, man. It, it's really institutional. It really is, a, a, you know, it's rooted. It, it's absolutely rooted um, within our country. And, and these roots have extended their reach pretty much to every part of the country and, and every institution in the country. Um, and we have to be aware of that. But again, right, there are people that are just like, nope, we're perfect. We're the best country that's ever lived and never existed. There's absolutely nothing wrong with us. We've never done anything wrong. We have no blood on our hands. Um and and you know, I wish I could understand those people better. I, I wish I could understand it and just pick their brain and be like, what 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 are you seeing, you know, that I'm I don't not. see and, and vice and vice versa. You know, vice versa. Like how, how can you not see what the rest of us are dealing with and going through, what black people are going through, what brown people are going through, what immigrants are going through, you know, like what, what is it, you know, like how are you not seeing this? Um, so it, it's, it's, I don't know, it's going to be a tough thing to, to really tackle um, in the long run. It's going to be ongoing, it, it is. I don't, I don't foresee a utopian society where, you know, we're post-racial or whatever that may be. Um, yeah, yeah. it's not uh, the
2: happiest outcome, but I mean, it's a, it's a real one. It's a, understanding, a real
0: possibility. And understanding mm-hmm. the intersectionalities, too. A um, good friend of mine, Mark, he's in Florida right now, to, um, you know, in, in law school. He must be a judge, ultimately. But um, he had posted something, and he had gotten some backlash from it. And I was shocked. I was like, why are you getting... But it was the stop the Asian hate, you know, with the recent attacks and everything like that. Um, to get some backstory to you, my, uh, my boy Mark, he is half Chinese, half African American so understanding that you can be both right of the of mm-hmm. and how intersectionalities um overlap you know um and nico you know correct me if i'm wrong same thing you know being afro Latina or afro-latino mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that you can be black and part of whatever you know latin country you know and mm-hmm. i don't think in, in this generation people don't understand that they don't understand that you can be have multiple identities of your race of your ethnicity mm-hmm. and mm-hmm that's why certain issues are going to pertain to you, you know, Mm -hmm. stop the Asian He's half Chinese. That's like basically getting rid of a whole side of him, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, And that's his community as well. That's being targeted, you know? Um, And I think that needs to start as Nico mentioned with, uh, with our education history on ethnicity and race. Um, I, I absolutely am for, sociological classes, psychological classes, social psychological classes, classes on rightness and ethnicity, I am 100% for those in elementary school. I think it would do so much good, honestly, in my personal opinion.
2: Yeah, I took, a, I took one in high school, and that's what kind of introduced uh, me towards more of it on the on the academic side of things, like actually understanding what the differences between them all are, because a lot of times they are interchanged as well, mm-hmm. so Like that's why I want to mention those definitions to kind of give everyone that clarity, both for us as well as for like the listeners as well. Um, Ellie, was there anything else that you wanted to touch on? Cause I did have one thing for the closing, but I wanted you to go first, just in case.
3: Thanks. Um, hmm. Nothing, oh, nothing, <laughs> no, nothing major, uh, uh, maybe we can add this in later, but so the, the argument you made for the probe, the uh, blue lives matter. That that uh that cops they don't want to be criticized or harassed. Uh, I mean I just want to say again I didn't get to say earlier, but um when a cop is killed, that crime is like the highest solved crime of any crime. So uh, like that's again super privileged. Uh, cops care brilliant. most. Yeah. Yeah, cops care about cops. they so, and they'll look it up and and then it's your coworker. So I mean uh I just think that if you're a cop you should be held to the highest level of criticism expect to be criticized not maybe not harassed but criticized definitely and our our military police our military when they go into other countries they have a higher standard for violence set for them than our local cops treating citizens like you know a cop doesn't have to fire a warning shot in fact that's against like the law but but uh uh Military in another country with citizens who aren't our people, and am we, we do this for them. But they have to like fire warning shots, give verbal warnings, do all this stuff before they use legal force. So, you know, I just feel like cops are trying to make themselves out to be victims when they are the people with all the power. They're the ones who should be held to an extremely high standard. And if they don't meet that standard, don't be a cop. That's mm-hmm. simple because you're not a blue mm-hmm. life. You know, you can quit. Mm-hmm. Uh, Absolutely yeah yeah it's 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 accountability at the end
1: of the day right you you yeah. you you know you swear an oath to protect and serve the public you know you are a a public servant uh, yeah. similar to you know politicians they are they are public servants um they serve the people and uh right now or for many generations they have not served every group of people every community so right. absolutely. One, one thing
2: I'll add on to that as well, it's like for those um, for those listeners who are like very pro-police, pro-Blue uh, pro Lives Matter and everything like that, uh, we just want to say like too, it's like we're acknowledging that there are good officers out there, the ones that um, have really dedicated them li- their lives to their career. Um, some of them come from long family uh, backgrounds of police and everything and enforcement. But what we're questioning is those who do not properly uphold those. Those uh, values do not go through the um, what can I say? The uh, the pledges that they uphold. So we want those to, those that are listening to kind of question: How can you guys ensure that the same prestige that comes with poli- uh, with being a police officer is retained and not having those individuals soil it? So we do kind of question: What can they do to understand all sides of the argument to see why people are so critical of them? and not just saying, don't be critical of us. It's like, there's a long established history from individuals of all different backgrounds here who have had this issue. Civil rights movement, it was a big issue as well. And as you guys mentioned, that was what, uh, 50, 60 years ago. Like that's when our parents were alive and our grandparents, like they experienced that. And that's from all of our backgrounds. Like, cause all of us are Americans on the call too. So we do ask that they challenge themselves to see if they can have those hard conversations to say why Why do these communities of color or these um, poor communities look at us the way that we do versus the light that we hold ourselves to so it is accepting and acknowledging that standard is earned and not necessarily given. So um, the one thing I wanted to do as a closer, though, so um, since we did go through the definitions of like race, culture, ethnicity, and um, we didn't touch on nationalism, uh, uh, not nationalism, uh, nationality, but um basically person legal uh, legal citizenship whether it's birthright naturalized and then having pride for that that was a little quick run through but what i wanted to do in closing is kind of have each one of you elliot this includes you as well kind of speak on their thoughts on what their race is ethnicity is their culture and their nationality and see how that's shaped you into becoming the person that you are and what you would like to see going forth from here. So like if I had to start, I would say me, Jay, um, my race is I'm Black, my culture is I'm African-American. My ethnicity is very hard to kind of classify, like African-American, Native American. Um, and the fact that American comes up with it, it shows a different level of ethnicity that I have outside of my ethnic backgrounds as well. So that's, for me, it's kind of complicated. And the nationality, born and raised in America. But I'm also African-American, African first, then American, based upon the history of the country. Um, so whoever wants to go next, I wanted you to kind of label yourself and then also speak briefly on it to see how it shaped you into the person that you are. I know wants to go first, or I think yeah. popcorn.
0: <laughs> yeah, go, man. Um, so race um, is Black, um, my ethnicity. So, um, what I pinpointed it down to, um, it'd be Nigerian, Native American, um, splashes of European, that's Black, Spanish, French, and Native American also, um, specifically Blackfoot tribe. Um, and then and that's just what I have on the surface level for this too, too, too much, but that's beside the point. Um, That's why I say, for me, I'm cool to turn black and African-American always. Um, culture, of course, black, African-American and um, nationality is born and raised in the United States, so American.
2: Okay, and uh, how, how has that all like shaped you into becoming the Aaron of today? Um, and, and which just, one has shaped you the most, I'll say, also?
0: Definitely, I'd say um, culturally, um being, um black african-american and being raised in a black african-american household you know with mother and father who are both um unapologetically black and have taught me to you know love my dark skin love who i am as an individual um deal with racism don't let racism shape you essentially so um that's kind of you know been my experience
2: i like that i actually like that quote a lot too Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm -hmm. absolutely
1: um, yeah, I guess I'll, I'll follow up with that. Uh, it's, it's again, it's kind of tricky for Latinos. We we feel like at least I feel it's the top of the way because you know you fill out an application of any kind, and they'll be like, "Are oh, you know what's your ethnicity?" or "Are you Hispanic Latino?" and then they'll ask about your race. And Hispanic Latino, I remember being like in high school filling out a job application, I think, and seeing that for the first time, and it's like, wait a minute, Latino is only an ethnicity, but not a race. Like how does that you know how does that work? And and so it can be a little tricky. Um, to really uh, determine that but to me I you know I, I think from that moment on I, I just I told myself that I was like I'm Latino that's it like I don't know anything else like that that to me is my race um, you know by definition it may not be you know again because I don't I don't understand how they came to those standards and I've seen that you know on a lot of different applications um, since then right um, so to me you know I would say, Ethnically, yes, Latino and and uh, Hispanic. Um, I guess in terms of race, if I do have to check off a box, if Indigenous is an option, I would check off Indigenous. Um, I haven't done like an ancestry or DNA test, so I'm not entirely sure exactly, you know, how you know where my roots really, really come from, like way, way back. Um, so that's just what I'm comfortable just putting for right now. Uh, I know my grandfather has told me that we do have some Indigenous blood in in our family, at least from Nicaragua. Um, so with that in mind, I just, you know, I just, you know, kind of choose indigenous. Um, but honestly, culturally, um, the furthest thing from it, to be honest, like I, we just don't really, um, as far as I know, uh, there may be some things that Latinos have adopted that may have come from indigenous culture. Um, but as far as I know, it, it's, it might be subtle, uh, and at least in my family, I would say we're very culturally Latino. Um, I would say, you know, we're, we're at a point in our lives with my family that at least my immediate family, we um, we've become a little bit more culturally American as well. Uh, we've we've adapted. My parents, for sure. My my parents, their English is pretty strong. Uh, they they. My mom was able to go to college. You know, get a degree. You know, she works at a hospital. Um, and that honestly changed our lives, right? Um, so I would say we're we're at a point where we're a good mix, you know. Um, I honestly, I, I like that term Spanglish a lot, you know, being able to, to interchange and use some Spanish and some English. And that's really what our family has become. You know, I would say that our, our Spanish is still very strong. Um, the adults in the family very much still speak, you know, um, Spanish very well, uh, including, you know, some of, you know, I'm, I'm part of the, the first generation of kids born here in this country. So like me and my cousins speak it, you know, fairly well. My brother speaks it fairly well. Um, so I would say culturally, it's like a good mix of, Latino, Latino American, I would say. Um, and nationality wise, it's interesting, man. Uh, you know, I, I am born. I was born in this country. You know, I was born in, in Northern Virginia. Um, and I don't know. I kind of feel like, you know, I think about that James Baldwin quote. I always feel um, I have very strong opinions about the United States. Uh, very, very strong. And I'm, I'm conflicted a lot of times. Um, because I know the history of this country, and because you know, my dad essentially, my dad and, and his siblings were refugees of a civil war that was funded by the United States. You know, and and a lot, again, a lot of a lot of times when people thought, think about immigrants, they just don't recognize that they don't think about the the consequences of our foreign policy in other country, um, and and what that does to those other countries and those communities. Um, so I, I am conflicted in that I, I am American. I was born in the United States. Um, but I have a hard time, to be honest with y'all, like saying that I'm a proud American um, because I do recognize that <laughs> our hands are not clean. We, we have blood on our hands and we continue to have blood on our hands, not just within Latin America, but <laughs> pretty much the majority of the rest of the world. Um, yeah. So I'm, I'm just very, very conflicted on that. Um, but I am very proud to say that, you know, my family is from Nicaragua. Um, I, I love that. I love that because there aren't that many of us here in the United States as a whole. Um, so I just love to represent and put on for, for Nicaragua. And, and I love Colombia too. And I, you know, the, the, on the flip side of Colombia, you know, a lot of times people think Colombia and they think, oh, Pablo Escobar. Oh, you know, Pablo Escobar, Do you know? Oh, you know, you're into drugs and cocaine and all that stuff. And it's like, no, fuck you, first of all, like, don't be ignorant. Uh, and second of all, Colombia has so much more to offer than, you know, this one dimensional idea that you may have that you learn from a TV show um, or from, you know, whoever. Um, so I think a lot of times uh, Colombia is painted in a bad picture in this country um, and it couldn't be further from the truth. It, it's such a gorgeous, beautiful country um, and, and the people there are just as amazing. So um, so I'm very proud to say, you know, I, I have no problem putting on Nicaragua in Colombia. Um, yeah. And I will say, of course, that I'm American, but I have conflicted feelings about that.
2: Yeah, as you should too. Cause like, as you mentioned earlier, it's like um, being American The First Amendment is having that right to criticize. And through through criticizing, that's what makes us better. It's having those conversations to say, what can we do better on? You know, especially coming from the education background, it's like, you don't have to get 100% on every exam. But when you get that 90 or you get that 80, you go back and you say, what can I do better? And that's how you Mm -hmm. approve upon. And that's how Mm -hmm. all of us as being students of this world that's how we get better, and that's how we evolve. So as 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 you should be critical, and always keep that about you, because as an American, that's our right to be critical. Right. So, uh, Elliot, what are what are your thoughts?
3: Definitely. Um, actually, so uh, well, uh, <laughs> I would definitely say I would uh, I show up in the weird part. I mean, race wise, like as a kid growing up. I felt really disconnected and I definitely still feel disconnected when I would bubble in something for race. I'd bubble in other, cause I just didn't oh. feel white. Yeah. And I, I still don't. And so I mean race white because people won't really, you know, listen to me if I say anything else, it's just why resist, you know, at, at this point, uh, culture void. I, I, I don't know. Um, I want to say American and then people are like, that's actually nationality and they treat you like you're ignorant, but it's like, what the fuck am I supposed to say? I don't know. The only cultural beliefs I share are with Americans. Uh, should I say Las Vegas? It's so, uh, ethnic group. I, I have no idea. Um, I've never been treated like an ethnic minority. So none. And then nationality. Yeah. American, I guess that's my citizenship. Um, but uh, again, being white in a, in like a country like this, where whiteness is associated with money, with privilege, with racism, with like having a house, just all that stuff, it didn't relate to me at all. So I always felt like an other and uh, like a void. Like when you're a default, it feels like a void. Like there's nothing there. Like there isn't culture or real history that connects to you. So that's kind of been my perspective, but I just feel like an alien inside inhabiting a white body and then I get to navigate society with this skin, with this perceived gender, that's it.
2: I would say Elliot, that's, that's actually very deep, man. Like, I think um, based upon that, I think we will have an episode on, on whiteness. Because like- King of like, the hill. <laughs> yeah. Because <laughs> I do think that's a, it's a very interesting take, especially like in terms of like, um, like when you think about the concept of like white privilege and everything you're definitely like me and you knowing each other's backgrounds and everything it's like you definitely didn't you weren't born into the world that is often portrayed as like the cisgendered white male
3: no yeah that's for sure
2: yeah so I think I think that would even be a good episode topic but I do appreciate that that honesty right there like bubbling in the other I've never had to I've never had to actually do that too
3: yeah I don't know other it's a nice place you know it's funny though uh when I was in elementary school on my transcripts it shows my race as Asian because because they're, they're like I think they did that like oh other he's probably Asian mm. <laughs> or something I don't
2: know oh for sure well what one thing I'll ask before we close out um so knowing that knowing that you didn't meet like the textbook definition of whiteness how has it shaped you into like the person that you are too and then we'll, we'll go more in depth on that on our next episode or one of the
3: episodes. Yeah, different episode. Um, it just really made me, it made me think about race a lot more. And again, it was like seeing what my dad, uh, seeing some of what my dad put up. Um, and uh, yeah, I think uh, something that's not really talked about is mental illness. And that's like a big intersection. But my parents are mentally ill. And, and when you when you have that, there is a huge cultural disconnect because you, know, you, don't, you, d- you just don't have conversations around that in the same way. You don't have conversations like at all. But uh, I mean, how that relates to race is just like, you hear all these things about race that don't connect to you. And I guess it's, it's kind of like having negative and positive stereotypes. Uh, when, you, when you give people space, they fill that space with their expectation. So they fill it with either their negative or positive bias. Both of which you can sense are inaccurate. Like, oh, that doesn't latch on to me. So you just see what people are thinking about others when you feel like, you know, oh, this is missing me, but they're thinking about someone else.
2: Yeah, yeah. Oh my God, dude, this is, yeah, we're, we're going
3: we're <laughs> to gonna, gonna touch on this on a future episode. Like, We will. I, I got to go soon, but yeah, I, I want to say thank you so much for, for the guests. Like, yeah, Aaron, Nico, it's great to have you on. I mean you guys can talk like we're not just defining these concepts. You're just like, hey, this is how this acted in my life. Like this is, you know, what you call this. So super helpful to have.
2: Yeah, agreed. And we're thankful that you guys both like were are you know allocated the time to come through with us today. So we're we're happy about that. Um right. any closing just comments just real quick? Comment, definitely,
0: you know, um
1: always happy to be on for sure.
2: Yeah, dude, we're glad to have you. And then same thing you too, Nico.
1: Yeah. Yeah. This was awesome. Uh, thank you guys for having me. I, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah. and, and I hope whoever watches and listens, you know, they feel empowered and, and uh, yeah, we continue to fight together.
2: Yeah, absolutely. And that's what unity is all about, right? Mm-hmm. So a little shout out to all the viewers. So what are your thoughts? Do you think that uh race matters? Do you think race doesn't matter? And if so, is it blue? Is it all, is it, you know, black? Is it what, what is it to you? Like, Leave us, leave us your thoughts below in the comments and until the next episode. So peace out everyone and always much love and peace.